0: netcasts you love
1: from people you trust
0: this is twit bandwidth for security now is provided by aol music and spinner.com where you can get free mp3s exclusive interviews and more This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 227 for December 17, 2009, Cyber Warfare. Security Now is brought to you by the new voice-activated Sync, featuring hands-free calling, music search, and turn-by-turn navigation, available exclusively on Ford, Lincoln, and Mercury vehicles. For more details, visit SyncMyRidePodcast.com. And by GoToMyPC, the safe way to access your PC remotely that's as secure as online banking. For your free 30-day trial, visit GoToMyPC.com slash security now. It's time for Security Now, the show that covers your security, your privacy, your online persona. And with us uh, today, as always, Mr. Steve Gibson He's the king of security, the man who discovered spyware, coined the term spyware, wrote the first anti-spyware program, and publishes a lot of free security stuff on his website, grc.com, along with his great program, Spinrite. Hello, Steve. Yo, Leo. Great to be back with you once again. This is going to be a fun one. I'm very, very interested in this one. It's a topic we have never really
1: discussed because for a long time frankly I, I had a hard time taking it seriously mm-hmm. it i guess it's maybe i'm too close to the topic and it just or it seemed like a little sort of more sci-fi than real but we're going to talk about cyber warfare wow
0: so and it, it uh, is real
1: well this i, I still you know i'm it, it, it apparently is.
0: <laughs> <laughs> apparently, apparently it is. I mean, well, it's like we, saying uh, uh, espionage is real. Apparently, it is. But you know, I mean, until you have something, you know, somebody's actually caught. Yeah. For example, in
1: in in earlier this year, in two thousand nine, in April, um, it was discovered that China and Russia had both infiltrated the control systems for the U.S. power grid. Right. I um, remember that. We th- talked their, about that. Yeah. Yes, we talked about it. Their stuff was found there. And it's like, oh, well, it didn't just happen to install itself. I mean, somebody put it there. And and so, I, you know, this is clearly going on. Now, you know, there are... There's there's all kinds of different types of attacks. I want to talk about the the different sorts of attacks going on and countermeasures and you know the 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 really the reason I, I just chose today was that John Markoff, who's you know been a reporter in the tech industry for years, he's now with the New York Times, and there was a a front page story that John co-reported about the US and Russia having essentially opened talks about about signing a cyber warfare treaty and as i'm reading it i'm thinking oh, okay well you know a treaty me? a treaty sounds- <laughs> yeah it sounds dumb to me because yeah. it's not like a nuclear arms or a biological weapons treaty where you were you know, your compliance to the treaty is 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 subject to inspection. You know, cyber warfare is does doesn't exist in the real world. It's something you know. It's a technique rather than an object. So, you know, it, I don't know. So, anyway, well, we've got a lot to talk about. Very interesting. I think our listeners will find it interesting. Uh, and then yeah. a couple big pieces of security news. Uh, and and I we ended up having a success. Someone put their hard drive in the freezer and uh, and reported that. So,
0: oh, well, that's interesting because we've talked sp- about that before, but I don't I don't know if I ever saw anybody do it. So well, he he got his data saved because we talked about it. As a matter of fact, oh, I love it. Yeah. Well, before we get to all of that, it sounds like a great show ahead. Let me just remind folks about our sponsor Citrix and the folks who do go to my PC, go to meeting, go to assist. We talk about them a lot, and that there really is a a great technology behind it all, the technology Citrix created many years ago that Microsoft licensed for their RDP, for their remote desktop. Um, It's used still today in enterprises very frequently. Uh, You know the name Citrix if you work in business and in IT. But let me tell you about GoToMyPC, which is the easiest way to do remote access, not just on PCs but on Macs, on anything. Anywhere you are, securely and safely, and that's really uh, I know important to the Security Now audience. Uh, in fact, in a way, this is a this is an easy way to set up a VPN. What you do right now, and this is a good time to do it as we head into the holidays. I know a lot of you will be traveling. Go to if you're sitting in front of your computer right now. Go to go to mypc slash security now, and sign up for the thirty day trial. It's free, unlimited use for thirty days. Perfect for the holidays. It'll take you about two minutes to install. Now without opening any ports, without DMZs or, or, or you know, w- reconfiguring the router, without any insecure issues at all, without any configuration at all, you've got remote access to that computer from anywhere you go. And not just any remote access, 128-bit SSL encrypted access. So if, even if you're at an Internet cafe somewhere where you're on an open Wi-Fi network or at a hotel plugged into the Ethernet where everybody can see you, your connection to... Your office or your computer uh, is, is absolutely encrypted, absolutely secure. gives you a way to surf. But more than that, you can run any program. You can send and receive email. You can access any network resource. You can drag and drop files from one computer to the other. So you, it's really powerful. You go full screen so it's just like you're at the remote desktop. But you're not. You're enjoying the holidays. You're home early. You're traveling. PC World continually gives it their world-class award for best remote access software. They've won once again. Uh, And I've got a free trial for you. I do, if you've you've put off trying it, I want you to try it right now. This is the way to get remote access to your computer. Go to my, from any computer, anywhere you can get online. Go to mypc.com slash security now. Absolutely free for the next 30 days. Kind of a holiday gift to you from Citrix. We thank them so much for their support. They're a gift to us at Security Now. Uh, Let's, I guess we should start with the security news, Steve, and then um, get on to... uh Anything else that's going on? In yeah, I warfare? forgot. I forgot to ask you
1: um, before we began the show. I heard you as I was I was watching the the feed as as you were getting set up. Um, you mentioned to Dick that uh, he won the oh, podcast congr- best of comedy stuff.
0: Congratulations! You won the best technology podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sl- I didn't know. <laughs> this shows you how much we care about things like this. <laughs> right, yeah, am Glad you brought that up, Steve. You are in fact podcast award winner. For 2009, for Best Technology Podcast, beating out Yay! all the rest, including great shows like Buana.tv. We love Buana. He's great. Floss Weekly, another Twitch show, Geek Brief, Linux Outlaws, The Great Mac Cast, Mike Tech Show, SDR News, Skepticality, and The Naked Scientist. Security Now, Best Technology Science Podcast for 2009. And thank you to all the listeners wow. who made that possible because it was your votes. I yes, heard yes, they yes. got eight million total votes over the uh, several week voting period. Eight million! Wow. So it's a significant. I mean, this means something. Wow. Uh, yeah, we won. We were nominated for nine shows and in several categories, like yours, uh, for two show two of our <laughs> own shows nominated. And of course, I know everybody else who got nominated too. I mean, these are the best podcasts and uh, in in the country in the world. Uh, but we won for um, uh, best comedy podcast. That was Dick. We won for Food and Drink, that's Munchcast, which we're bringing back because we had actually <laughs> canceled the show. We're bringing it back. If you like it that much, it's, it's back on the schedule. We're going to start doing it on Sunday afternoons at uh, two o'clock right after the radio show right before Twit. Um, we also won for, um, what else did we win for? There was one more. Oh, Best Video Podcast, Twit won. Very cool. And that was a tough category. I was actually, did not think we had a chance. We were competing against Buzz Out Loud. Cranky Geeks, Dignation, Oh. No. Film Riot, which is a brilliant show. Mister Deity, NASA Edge, Scam School, TED Talks, Wow, Techzilla. I mean, these are the. I was blown away that we won that one. So I had thought, well, there's no chance. So thank you everybody for all the votes and congratulations, Steve. We're your your um. Th- there is a plaque or a trophy of some kind, which we will immediately mail to you as soon as we get it. Yay! Cool. I expect to see a it on the thing behind you there. Well, that means you deserve a lot. it. I mean, heck, this is a great show. It's not the first time you've won. We should point that out, either. Although I think wasn't the first one best
1: security podcast, or was it best I technology?
0: Remember. I think it was technology. Okay, yeah, yeah. it was technology. Cool. They don't, They don't. They're not that granular, right? That's very cool. Well done. So. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mention this earlier. <laughs> what you know?
1: It just shows you that we don't. Our mind's not in that. It's it's funny it's when fun. you talk about the number of votes and and what it means. I I won. You know how you know the senior class in high school is like most likely to this and most likely to that. Like you know in life, I won most likely to be president of Bank of America, of all things. And it's like what? Uh-huh. what? <laughs> <laughs> and mean, actually, you know what? these days,
0: not such a good job. You no, know.
1: and you know, I and I guess that's was our high school our high school was like modality. the highest award you could get. Like, yeah, you know? or like maybe you're going to, I mean... They weren't far off. The, you're, well, you're an entrepreneur. But my, my point is that I think I was probably, the, the only reason was that I was the only one who was like written in, who got like more than one vote. <laughs> 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 Everybody else, you know, I mean, I'm sure there are lots of other people who, people wrote in for that but you know two people probably said oh that's probably that sounds like steve and it's like okay but, <laughs> that's all it takes <laughs> it just seems so random to me then and even more now so yeah well, but i think right. that in
0: order to get this award we probably had to get a substantial number of votes i know that uh, the video category uh todd cochran who runs these awards and thank you todd for doing this uh, he was saying that the video category got, a, I can't remember how many votes in it, but a ton of votes. Well,
1: yeah, I mean, and listen to the competition.
0: Yeah, I mean, wow. this is the best. I can't believe we beat, you know, TED Talks, Dignation, uh, Tech Zil- I mean, these are great shows. So, thank you, everybody. We really Very appreciate neat. it. Yeah. Okay, so, um, two
1: pieces of news. I wanted to mention that the House of Representatives, the U.S. House of Representatives, passed... Um, a significant resolution, H.R. 2221, which is the electronic data breach notification, um, legislation. It was, you know, that something similar will happen in the Senate and then they'll be put together for, for, Uh, reconciliation and then a final bill will be produced and and the president will sign it and it looks like all that's going to happen because this isn't like super controversial or anything the the reason it's significant and and good news well it's sort of a mixed blessing Um, right now there are completely randomly differing state-by-state regulations which make it very difficult for companies to comply because If they're doing business in multiple states or have any kind of presence in multiple states, um, and in fact, if the consequence of a breach affects people in other states, then they're subject to differing regulations. So having a federal law, will, and and this does, will supersede state-by-state regulations. Now, I said it was a mixed blessing. The bad part is that the FTC is the enforcement side of this. But government, financial institutions, insurance companies, nonprofits, and institutions of higher education are exempt from FTC jurisdiction. Hmm. So it's like, okay, well, we're making progress, but we say I have a ways to go. Um, the other good piece of news is that that when there have been major breaches, which have been publicly exposed, the the stock prices of the companies responsible have been substantially hit. And of course, that gives the the budgets of the CTOs in these companies or the information security officers um, now some some more leverage with their boards saying, look, we need a budget to do what we know how to do. In order to prevent us from getting a black eye if if you know we disclose public um you know or uh, private information publicly by mistake, so that ends up you know in general, we're moving forward, which um I think is certainly good now, the dark side this week is that a lot of attention is finally coming to and and that's a good thing to a really bad SQL injection attack. I've seen reports that talk about as many as 1.2 million sites being infected, although that to get to that number, you need to use various do, um, sort of primary domains for the attack. the The one that's most well-known... It, and people can see it for themselves, as I had you do before we started recording, Leo. If you if you put into Google, you just Google 318x.com. Don't click on anything. Don't, right. don't go to the sites. What this is doing is this is Google having found instances of the, the sort of the fundamental domain of the attack. Um, we've done a discussion in detail of SQL injection attacks before. So I'll just summarize it by saying that that an SQL injection attack is a means by which m- malicious parties can inject some text of their choosing into an unwitting website. For example, unfortunately, the SQL or SQL database is often on the back end of a web server. So, the pages are being presented as a consequence of data stored in the database, which means if you change what's stored in the database, you change the presentation of the website. Now... Databases are, for example, often behind forum systems, where, where you have a, a, a user interactive forum, or they can be behind wikis, for example, where, again, you, you've you got essentially malleable web content. The problem is that it is, it is certainly possible to secure these, but it is much easier, as is always the case, for them not to be secure. And so at the moment, nearly three hundred thousand sites. Actually, I think the number as as we're recording this, Google is reporting two hundred fifty nine thousand instances of this the the string three one eight xcom dot com in um, in sites that it just is is randomly indexing now. Um, what happens is that domain appears in, a, in what's called an iframe. An iframe is an inline frame, which which when the browser rendering the page containing this encounters it, it then it essentially follows that frame to wherever the frame points. Well, what the frame contains is a script tag that says src for short for source equals http colon slash slash 318x.com slash a.htm um so that does two things it loads when that a.htm is retrieved from the domain 318x.com it loads a second iframe from AA1100.2288.org. So just some, you know, random domain someone got, slash HTML ASP, slash DASP, slash alt.html. And then another script, um, from some, I mean, I won't go through all of this in detail, but, uh, a, um, some JavaScript, which is used for tracking. Then that first one that I read, the AA one one zero zero dot two two eight eight dot org blah blah alt.html frame. <laughs> yeah. It creates a third iframe pointing to another page, a share dot html on the same site, loads a script um from that second domain, uh just like a different um subdirectory there. Um the share.html detects the browser type and writes and loads multiple sp- browser-specific iframes which point to obfuscated script files located in the same directory. And so um, those further probe for the, the for the nature of what's on the client side. So for example, it checks for MDAC, OWC ten, and various versions of Adobe Flash. Depending upon the results, then it specifically probes for known exploits, including the integer overflow vulnerability in Adobe's Flash Player, which was described in in CVE two thousand seven zero zero seven one, the MDAC. Uh, Connection ActiveX vulnerability described in Microsoft's Note 07-009. The Web Components vulnerabilities we just talked about a couple months ago described in MS09-043. The Video ActiveX vulnerabilities recently described and patched um, um, Internet Explorer's uninitialized memory corruption vulnerability. So it goes through those and... um, if it's able to exploit those successfully, then it delivers um another file h- at http colon slash slash windows seven seven six dot org slash down slash down dot css, which you might think would be um a a, a formatting file. It's not. It's at down.css is actually a Win32 executable that is a variant of a known back, a Windows 32 backdoor, um, which is called the BuzzUS, B U Z U S. <laughs> of course it is. Trojan. <laughs> <laughs> and that installs a number of files, AMMXV.DRV, under the user profiles um syesm.exe under common files and then a bunch of things are installed in the registry including a rootkit which, prefe- which prevents any of those from being seen and discovered and the bottom line of that is that it then connects up to a a, a server at 121.14.136.5 via port 80 to sign, uh, sign itself up as a Trojan, and it then goes about stealing credit card and, and bank login information from your machine. And this is all over the Internet, as a Google search on 318x.com demonstrates. So Windows users with unpatched systems who go to... Innocent sites. And again, these are, they're not visiting malicious sites. They're visiting sites that haven't been sufficiently security aware that have this little script tag, this iframe script tag added to them. And then, as you can see, all hell breaks loose and you end up with a backdoor Trojan rootkit installed, which then steals credit card and bank login information actively in the background.
0: Now, Okay, so, somebody who's just did a search for three eighteen x dot com sees all these sites. Let's assume that some of them are still infected, uh, and the person's so running all of those are infected. Well, Google's. I, I went to a couple, and they've been disinfected since Google did the index. Uh, okay, good. So, I mean, people. I mean, they're wising up, I guess. Right. Um, but assuming that it's infected, and you go there, first of all, you have to be using Windows, right? Not going to work on any other kind of operating system. Be, right, because the vulnerabilities
1: that, that is exploiting, even, even Adobe Flash that is a cross-platform vulnerable target, there, it, it is, it is installing a Windows, it's running Windows
0: XEs and Windows, okay. you know, a Windows Trojan. Although there's nothing to say that somebody couldn't embed other things on that page but that's what we're seeing the 318. It's worth noting also
1: that this is evolving over time right. from the first from the first instance where this began to appear in November because this thing is such a linked chain of events the links can be changed at any time. So after you know, even after this script tag has been installed, you know it points to something that points to something that points to something. So it's very easy, and 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 the people that have been monitoring this have seen an
0: evolution of what this thing does over time. Right. So I now, if I run Windows Update and I'm updated, am I still vulnerable? Is that exploit has it been patched? Um, the, all of the exploits which
1: which this thing. Attempts to exploit have been patched. Okay. So, yes. so that's so, one,
0: one way to avoid this is to make sure you keep up to date. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And, right. and the other is to selectively enable JavaScript. Because okay. this fundamentally is all about JavaScript. Without JavaScript, there's no vulnerability. Right. So, again, if you were a person using Firefox and NoScript, where you turned on scripting selectively where necessary... Uh, although the, it's worth saying that the flip side is many of the sites you might visit which are infected might be ones that need scripting enabled. So you would
0: innocently turn it on. Ah, good point. Yeah. So in, in a way, that's a way around NoScript because, uh, hey, I want to use whatever this site is. Yeah, I, I,
1: I want you know the user form or the wiki or whatever, and gee, I have to turn scripting on. So you would turn it on, you're, and NoScript does... What it needs to, when you turn scripting on, it refreshes the page so that the scripts you have then enabled have a chance to come alive. Unfortunately, this thing would then grab you. If you had any unpatched vulnerabilities, you'd be in trouble. The The, hmm. the lesson here is, and we've talked about this often, is really do update your computers as soon as known problems are fixed. Because this is a perfect example. Now that this mechanism is in place, I mean, there will be lots of sites that are not attended, that will not get this script tag removed. You mentioned that some you've checked have been. Clearly, people are informing the webmasters, hey, you've got a problem, fix fix this, and the webmasters do. There will be sites as in the same way that there's still code red is out there, installed on machines, forever. randomly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, forever. Right. So, so the problem is that until 318x.com is taken down, and who even knows where that, I didn't even bother to look for the registry of that. It'd be interesting to see where it's registered. Until it's taken down, it can be pointing to anything. So the second a zero-day vulnerability appears, as if there's a known exploit for it, that could get added to the list of things that this existing infrastructure checks for, and it could be very successful as a consequence.
0: Wow, fascinating!
1: So I wanted to share it because it's a—it's—I mean—it's a perfect example of you know a a multifaceted exploit which um, is seeing w- wide-scale success. Unfortunately, at the moment. On that <gasps> note. <laughs> on that note. On uh, that note. We uh, I got a nice note from Chris Rivera, who the subject was, Steve is my hero. And he said, in a recent episode, meaning of Security Now, you guys mentioned the hard drive in the freezer trick. I've known about this as well, but never had occasion to use it. Wouldn't you know my luck? My portable drive took a nosedive this weekend. This was my only backup of my kids' photos and videos. To me, this is the most important data in the world. As I plugged in the USB drive, I heard a clicking sound. I wanted to scream so loud. As my blood pressure was rising, I remembered you guys talking about the freezer trick. So I froze my drive and reconnected it later. It showed up only to quickly die again. It would only run for maybe 60 seconds at a time. Without much hope, I fired up Spinrite and put it to work at level two on the 320 gig drive. 12 hours later, it had reported that there were no sectors bad or unrecovered. In fact, it didn't report anything at all. But I remembered you talking about how sometimes Spinrite fixes drives without anything to report. So I plugged it up to my Fedora box, and voila! I was able to copy the entire drive contents over to my workstation. You have saved me so much heartache. I will never trust portable drives again. That was my third one to go bad. Each time, I lost pictures of my kids. Luckily, I have backups, but I've never had recent full backups and have always lost some of the data. I am most impressed with Spinrite. Thank you so much for creating such an amazing application. I hope I will never have to use it again. Parenz, I mean that in a good way. Did you write that in Assembler? Keep up the amazing job on Security Now. Stephen Leo.
0: Signed, Chris. Awesome. So, happy... It's good to know freeze, that works. I mean, it's a success story. It's yes. always been one of those, you know... Uh, I always thought it was kind of an anecdotal thing, but I guess it does work. It makes yeah, sense it works, right? It, it really does because it's
1: just... The you know drives are running on the hairy edge as it is. I mean the sectors are requiring lots of correction. That the reason that Spinrite is effective as a preventive maintenance tool is that it's able to go along and fix the problems before they they get pushed to the point the drive can no longer can no longer fix things. But even something as random seeming as freezing the drive, just I mean it just. Changes enough that it 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 that the drive has a chance to work again for like one last try. So it's funny too. He mentioned external drives. I'm concerned about the heating of external drives because many of these little enclosures provide no active airflow across the drive. Right, and and many drives are designed. First of all, they're 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 running fast. They're They're um, they're generating a lot of heat. But, you know, there are there are good enclosures that do have a fan that are that are actively cooling the drives. But drives really do not like to get overly hot. They that, that will really hurt them. And so. Um One of the problems I think we're seeing, I mean, these external enclosures are very popular, but, but be conscious of the problem of the drive getting too hot. Maybe, for example, don't just leave them on plugged in all the time, but plug them in only while you're act- actively transferring data to and from them, and then unplug them so that they're not just sitting there day in and day out running with no active airflow across them because they really will overheat. And, and he, you know, he talked about three of them dying on him, and it may very well be that it, they're just getting too hot. I see that. We, you know, we see that a lot.
0: I wonder also if heating, cooling, heating, cooling is worse than just staying hot. I mean. Well, there is that, too. You're right. You don't, you don't want to expand, contract, expand, contract. It wears out bearings. It's metal fatigue. There's all sorts of That's issues true. that go along with that. It's, I just, they don't, you know, it's all magic to me. These things shouldn't work anyway. They're, the density on these oh, things, the speed, it doesn't make any sense at all. completely agree. <laughs> Whoever thought that? Jerry Purnell was talking about that on Twitter? I think, a couple of weeks ago, uh, where he, like you, like me, like anybody who'd been paying attention in the 90s, fully expected that by now we'd be using something else, solid state memory or something. Yeah. I mean, spinning drives? Come on. <laughs> Terabytes? You're kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, before we get to the meat of the matter, cyber warfare, which I, I think is just going to be a fascinating subject. I have your notes here, and it's, I'm really looking forward to this. Um, I do want to mention Ford Sync. We've talked about it before. Ford is a sponsor of this show and all of our shows on Twitter because they want people to know about Ford Sync. problem these days is a lot of us, while we're driving, uh, are doing a lot of things. And, you know, hey, I'm one of them texting, <laughs> tuning the radio, fiddling with my iPod. And I know that's dangerous. All the studies say you're worse than a drunk driver. You're doing all that stuff. So I was really glad when uh, my new car came with Ford Sync because the idea of Ford Sync is to protect you, protect your safety, protect the other people on the road by keeping your eyes on the road and your hands on the wheel. And yet you can make mo- calls on your mobile because it works great with any Bluetooth phone. I have I use it with three phones. <laughs> I get in the car, all three phones go, hello, 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 the uh, iPhone, the uh, Droid, and my Nokia N900, and then you choose the one that you want to make calls on and be the default phone, Uh, but I have my iPhone uh, playing back over Bluetooth, playing back audio. Uh, I can, on some phones, none of the ones I have, but I think on the uh, Razer, and there are some phones that support this new Bluetooth, and all phones will soon, this new Bluetooth standard that allows Sync to read texts as they come in. As SMS comes in, it can send the text to Ford Sync, which will read it aloud, and then give you a series, I think, 10 messages that you can choose from responding to it, Uh, all without taking your hands off the wheel. This is what I love about it. Uh, It also, of course, lets you search and listen to music and podcasts on your MP3 player, works with iPods and Zunes, get turn-by-turn navigation, real-time traffic, movie times, fuel prices, sports scores, all by pressing the button on your steering wheel and talking to your car, and it talks back. I love it. Find out more by going to SyncMyRidePodcast.com. And the next time you're at a Ford, Lincoln, or Mercury dealer, say, I'd like to see Sync in action. They'll be glad to show you because they're proud of it. It's funny, when I went to, to get my car, um, they said, well, let me, let me bring the SYNC expert over. And it's the, one of the younger guys, of course, <laughs> who knows all about it. And he's just showing me. He's so excited about it. It really, it's, it's, and it makes a great demo. We're going to bring uh, my, my Mustang down and also Ford Flex down to CES. So if you're in Vegas for CES, come over. I'll give you a demo. It's just an amazing thing. SYNCmyRidePodcast.com. Give Ford SYNC a try. I think you'll like it at all your Ford, Lincoln, and Mercury dealers. And we thank him so much for the support of Security Now. Okay, Steve. Let's get to it. Cyber warfare, our topic.
1: So, when I was um, looking around for some specifics, I, I ran across an interesting interview, which um, the PBS show Frontline had done with a John Arquila, who's the associate professor of defense analysis at the, Na- at the Naval Postgraduate School. And I'm going to just share the beginning of a couple paragraphs of this because I think it sets the tone really nicely for this discussion. Um, and this interview was three, uh, six years ago in March of 03. So, So John says, I came to the whole cyber war business as a bombs and bullets guy. I didn't know a whole lot about computers, but when I was working for the Central Command in the last Gulf War, which, you know, the first Gulf War, it became very apparent to me that our biggest advantages came from what we knew and what our opponent didn't. Mm. On the spot, we cobbled together something called a joint surveillance and target acquisition radar system. This allowed us to know exactly where the opponent was and how to strike him. It occurred to me in the wake of that tremendous and lopsided victory of ours that much of what we did could have been held hostage to the disruption of any of those information systems. That was the beginnings of cyber war. The idea that the vulnerability of communications could cripple an advanced army. What made it strong also made it weak. Then it was only a baby step from there to think about this happening across our entire society, commercially and socially, the crippling of information systems could have profound disruptive effects. What made that thought even more chilling was the notion that this power existed in the hands of a few hackers. The disruptive power of this small group was growing by leaps and bounds. This was something that we were vaguely aware of through the 80s, but really came into its own in the 90s. What bothers me more than anything else as I look at the data each year, coming out of the various computer emergency response teams, is that hackers could do a tremendous amount more damage than they choose to do. This says to me the threat is real. We need to get our arms around it before people do get serious about making costly, costly disruptions a way of life. Wow. And, you know, it's, it's funny, what, what struck me when I read him talking about hackers could do so much more damage than they so far have chosen to do. I mean, we've talked about that often here. I've, I've remarked that, you know, I mean, almost quizzically that, you know, these viruses only so far seem to exist for their own sake. They're like little proof of concept things.
0: They're, you know,
1: they're they're sure, kids but
0: that's how you would do it, right? Um if I were a bad guy, I would do a little testing first, right? Well, and of course, and that's what happens is that
1: that uh you know, kids with spare time on their hands
0: that's how the they acron- learn. Yeah.
1: Exactly. They 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 create these things. Now I actually think that that ends up being a huge will we'll, in retrospect, when we look back on all of this development of, of computers and networking communications, that will end up having been a huge blessing because it is these relatively innocent proof of concepts which – have raised our awareness of the problem. I mean, that's that's what's created Symantec and McAfee and, you know, all the other anti-viral, anti-malware responses is, you know, these things are are vulnerabilities that exist in our machines where the vulnerability is being demonstrated without really being exploited, except... I would say now that we're beginning to see that change. We know that organized crime is getting involved. And, you know, when I was talking about what this backdoor Trojan does, this Buzz Us Trojan that is using the uh, SQL injection attack, well, it's actively hurting the people who, who end up hosting it unwittingly. It's stealing their credit card information and their bank logon data. So, I I guess we've it's clear that we've crossed the threshold between purely benign oh I'm a virus and I'm just here to replicate for my own sake now we're beginning to see the exploitation of this but but overall in the context of of nation states employing these sorts of things if it weren't for the fact that we we had this infrastructure of monthly patches from microsoft and and the idea that that this that, we, that our systems are porous essentially you know they are not rock solid software has bugs bugs can be turned from things that crash your computer into things that that actively exploit the, the porousness of our defenses, um, you know, that really creates an opportunity for for further exploitation. So, as I was thinking about this, I thought, okay, you know, we use the this this prefix cyber, and we've talked about cyber crime and cyber terrorism, and, and now cyber warfare, and and it occurs to me that that it's the 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 users of these or the the attackers who are employing these things the the, the thing that differentiates cybercrime from cyber warfare and cyber terrorism really is the motivation so for example monetary profit i would argue would be behind cybercrime if we if we decide that like warfare is something that nations do against each other then then they're not trying to profit monetarily they're they're trying to to in some way you know attack some other nation that they've decided they're at war with um, And in all of this case the there's this serious problem with attribution that that is attributing the source of the attack um when we were talking earlier about the um the malware that was found installed in the US power grid control system right. there was belief that it was that some of it was chinese and some of it was russian but of course you can't their tell. Gover- you don't disav- know. you're right. right their their governments disavowed any any participation and said no oh, you're crazy it's not ours well and and all we have is suspicions so so there's a, there's a sort of a fundamental sort of plausible deniability about anything that that's going on in this cyberspace and for example even in instances we've talked about this before where where control systems for for like botnets have been tracked down to specific countries well you know even when we find the control computers, and they might be in, for example, China, we don't know that there's anything that, that's China-based about about where they came from, because that control computer could be under the control of a computer located in an entirely different country. So, I mean, it, it's interesting. I've 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 read articles about, um about the, the fundamental problem of the Internet being this, this autonomous routing technology, which we've also often talked about, how, how a packet dropped anywhere in the world now onto a network with a given destination IP address will be picked up by the router on that network, which inspects the header of the packet, looks at the IP address, and forwards it on in the direction of its destination. It doesn't care anything about the source IP. Now, there are some filters, for example, on ISP networks, which prevent spoofing of source IP, but that's within a given domain, and that's the exception today more than the rule, in general, you just drop a packet anywhere in the world into a network with a given IP, and that packet will end up at that destination. Um with with no backtracking, no way of knowing where it come c- came from, no authentication. I mean it's it's the 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 strength of the internet, the resilience of the internet comes from this, but it is it also is a I mean from a from a standpoint of attribution of sources of attacks sources of of any type of malicious conduct i mean it's it's a huge achilles heel and i can't see you know having thought about this any practical way of getting to a a more secure technology without you without adding a massive burden to the way the net works. I mean one of the reasons it, it works as well as it does, is it, it, it's as inexpensive as it is, it's it's able to grow and be flexible and resilient is is it is that trusting nature. If there were some sort of you know public key crypto where packets had to be signed, for example, in a succession of envelopes where where a router would only accept a packet from another router if it was authenticated then you could potentially have backtracking provability but at a huge expense the packets would grow in size there would there would be this massive public key verification and signing needed at each step i mean basically none of it would work um nearly as well as it does um so it's really difficult to see how we get there from here and of course the other problem that the internet has is um is that to some degree these you know the equipment that we're using are black boxes we we fundamentally trust them we purchase them from from suppliers and plug them into our networks. You know, it says Cisco on the front, for example, and it looks, it's got that Cisco green paint on it, and it looks like a Cisco router. Well, we don't go in and inspect them. We don't know for sure what's there, and there have been instances of counterfeit Cisco routers coming from from other countries that have questionable software, installed in them right. and in some cases no malicious software right so so there we we have we have what we think is a trusted appliance and and upon inspection it turns out that this is a counterfeit and and we also have seen stories where cryptographic equipment there was we talked once about how There was cryptographic equipment purchased, I think, from a company in Switzerland, which upon inspection turned out to have known back doors installed in it. And other countries were buying this on the reputation of the seller, which was stellar. But nonetheless, back doors were discovered, which would allow other nations at the national you know, nation-state level to access this data, which some other nation was depending upon being impervious to decryption. So, you know, so so that kind of, of cyber intelligence or counterintelligence is, we know, probably also going on. We know that it has. There's no reason to imagine that it, that it hasn't. So, so it it seems to me that we could broadly divide attacks into you know, cyber attacks, cyber warfare into two broad categories. There's stuff happening in the background and there's stuff happening in the foreground. By by background I mean sort of like, you know, behind our backs. Quiet, continuous, the the kind of thing that is probably happening all the time and then you know foreground attacks are things like bandwidth floods like huge denial of service attacks that that you know that attempt to to swamp um networks my feeling is that that those would have to be ineffective to some degree on an international basis for example one has to imagine that that the United States and probably maybe all nations have the have like a kill switch on their on their transnational internet links. That is, it must be possible, for example, for someone somewhere in the U.S. government to to say, "Okay, take us off the net." Literally, you know, take the U.S. off of the Global internet cut our our transoceanic links, cut our satellite links. Um, we need to be an island for a moment it 's just hard to imagine that that facility doesn 't exist, um, which means that flooding traffic would that that was coming across those links would get blocked, and so would for what it 's worth you know non flooding sort of malicious traffic which is is operating through, um, you know, in a much more stealthy, non-in-your-face sort of just bandwidth attack mode. Um, On the other hand, um, one wonders if the bad guys, I mean, we being bad guys relative to other countries, other countries being bad guys to us in this, you know, in a cyber warfare scenario, if, there would be other assets installed in country that could act on behalf of a nation outside of that country's borders. You know, maybe in the event of it being cut off or maybe using some other communications means to to activate something that is sort of essentially a sleeper agent cyber thing that is that has been installed. I mean, the 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 problem with all of this is its presence is potentially unknowable it's just you know it's like bad firmware installed in appliances that are that essentially are sleeper agents that are that are in country waiting to be activated and then do who knows what i love that kill switch idea
0: don't yeah don't <laughs> you think there has to be that I have to think that anything that we can think of at this point, they are doing or have at least thought about. Right? I mean, they 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 uh, they they game this stuff all the time. They are always looking at these scenarios. So I presume that they're kind of looking at, at ways to respond to this. Um, and that's an obvious one: a kill switch, big well, red, now, big red button for the president to push. Yeah, <laughs> takes as, us offline.
1: Know, as I was thinking about all of this, I mean, this whole sort of. almost to me, sci-fi dimension. The flip side of that is that is that we're becoming, thanks to the internet, I mean thanks to this internet which represents this potential threat from cyberness. Um it's also really knit the globe together into in into in many ways a single
0: economic entity yeah and i mean we are i mean economically we're all linked you know if if uh, somebody brings our economy down we know this we just saw it it hurts everybody you know and so this is war this is the same thing as a nuclear war this is this is this is this is one a scorched earth kind of a alternative scenario
1: right exactly and i think that's my point is that you know i I mean we know that that China is building its military. We we there. I've seen many reports that talk about China's really putting an escalating effort into cyber war potential. And I think, okay, but wait a minute. You know, the, who are they going to aim that at? I mean, are they going to aim it at us? We're you know the, the American consumer is supporting a lot of China's economy from purchasing so much stuff. Right. And so, you know, how are we going to be at war with China? I mean, that to, to me, that doesn't make any sense. It's, it's, again, it's once upon a time when national economies were only national, you could imagine lobbing bombs at each other.
0: But I, 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 maybe I'm just being well, naive maybe, here. Maybe it's a crazy idea, but remember they had that nutty idea of limited nuclear war. Maybe there's such a thing as a limited cyber war. Where uh like a kick in the shins where it wouldn 't necessarily take everything out, but it might be like a little nudge uh, with a threat, an implicit threat and I think if you know uh, if I think there was a very clear and implicit threat with the Trojans that were found on our electrical grid, it would yeah. in a way maybe that was the point, not testing the technology but to say we have the means
1: um there was also um I, I read a report that talked about um some um a us capability to to infiltrate other countries networks which surprised me in its apparent effectiveness and that that our intelligence and ability to conduct cyber warfare was so great that there was a concern that that we would disrupt normal Civil and civilian operations, if if it wasn't kept under control, that is, it, w- it was difficult to constrain it to military targets, and that it could it could leak out and and affect, uh, 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 you know, as, 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 essentially, we don't have the ability to target as well as we need to. We've got things that are a little too blunt, but the idea that we even have such things. It's like, whoa, okay. I mean, again, as, as a technology... I'd be
0: more whoa
1: if we didn't. <laughs> you know, well, I'd be more... See, uh-oh. And see, that's the other thing, too, is I wonder if some of this isn't, you know, the military saying to the politicians, well, um, you know, what if? I mean, you you know, you can what if anything and scare scare the bejesus out of people, You know, politicians, and say, you know, we need hundreds of millions of dollars to, you know, to develop this, if not billions, um, because we know the other side is doing it. It's like, okay, what? Okay, I I guess, Um, you know. So they've got a bunch of hackers who are really good, and they're they're actively attempting to penetrate our networks. Um,
0: Okay. So we do the same. Uh, I, yeah, I guess. mean, I don't know. Yeah, I guess we have to, right? It's to me, it's very much like espionage. It's in the same kind of realm as espionage, um, sort of dark and murky, and no well, one's really sure. If they're spying on us, and we presume they are, then we need to spy on them. We have to have counter espionage. Um, I think it's very analogous to espionage. It's not. It's not. It is a we- with the difference that it's a weapon. So espionage can escalate to sabotage and cyber warfare could escalate to sabotage in the same way, I guess. Well, yeah, and, and it
1: seems to me too that that the way this is being portrayed is as, as not a standalone attack. That is, you know, we wouldn't... No country would launch only a cyber war attack on another, but it would be part of the, a, a broader disruptive umbrella. So, for example, if, I mean, if un, un, inconceivable as it is, the U.S. and China were ever to come to, you know, fundamental blows, then then I guess there would be a massive, from I mean, from everything we've read, a massive cyber war, I mean, component... Well, to yeah, what was going on in an attempt absolutely. to disrupt each other's systems. And it would and- be very
0: effective. I, I I interviewed a guy many years ago, this must have been 15 years ago, who wrote a book on cyber warfare, who said you don't do it by itself. In fact, he used the grid as an example. What you do is you disrupt the grid with both cyber warfare and sabotage. You blow up a few power plants, but you also make sure that you're in the computers that would then switch them over. You can create... Very easily, with a a few small incidents and computer hacking, you can take the the entire grid out of the United States, uh, and that would not by itself be a problem unless you were then also launching an invasion or bombing uh, or sending nuclear missiles. So it's it's part of an overall strategy, not something that would exist by itself. I mean, if if somebody took down the grid, that would be bad but uh, eventually you'd fix it uh it's only as part of something much more serious that you would even contemplate this i think now if you're trying to undermine that then there's subtle things if you're trying to undermine our economy uh by creating you know years ago i remember there were always rumors that foreign governments were printing counterfeit dollars right the soviets Hundreds. were doing that yeah and the idea being that they would then circulate them and create huge uh, deflation in the U.S. If there were an ideologue out there who said, well, we, we don't want to destroy the U.S. We just want to prove that capitalism doesn't work. Nowadays, they wouldn't print $100 bills. They would just create false trades and derivatives. And there'd be a lot of cyber ways to do this. <laughs> they would do the things we just finished doing for ourselves. Yeah, they do what we did yeah uh, but so that's what i'm saying is i think there's a lot of different ways to uh, to use this and look at this this is a very interesting tool and i certain i know for a fact that the u.s uh, has been very aware of this for at least two decades and has worked very hard to both to counter warfare and to have our own initiatives right and
1: i th- and i think what must be happening then is that you know i i f- first of all i think that what what you're discussing is sort of or were briefly there is i, I would call cyber terrorism yes that, that is more of a you know non-state actor um that is using um
0: electronic you know information system well it could be a state actor remember the soviet difference. union wanted to prove that capitalism was bad but yeah but it also could so it could be it could be state or it could be uh or independent independent yeah i mean uh, the The interesting thing about cyber warfare is it doesn't require huge resources you don't have to build a weapon of mass destruction you don't have no to have, that's very know. that's a very
1: good point too because i mean when we were talking before the show um or i guess at the top of the show one of the the things that strikes me as as odd about this is that you know, there, there isn't anything to, ins- for, for, for either side to inspect about the other. The notion of us signing a cyber war treaty, I mean, that, to me, that just strikes me as ludicrous because, you know, how is anyone going to know that you're in compliance? And why would anyone be in compliance? I mean, if it, it seems to be that everyone is taking this so seriously, although I, I mean, on, I'm, I'm trying to get my head around it because, it's hard for me to take it as seriously as everyone else seems to be. But given that everyone is taking it as seriously as they are, then no one is going to abide by a treaty, which, where, where, where you're, what you're entreated against doing can't be found, can't be proven. Yeah. So everyone's going to just say, oh, yeah, we're, we're all, we've, we've stopped doing that. Meanwhile, there's, you know, as you say, a, a, a small group are able to develop strong cyber weapons, potentially. You know, you don't need a huge industrial complex to do that. And so I guess it's just that over time, as the Internet is becoming more pervasive, and, and it's, it's not a curiosity, it's becoming, well, as we've been discussing recently, now having access to it, is being considered a human or a fundamental right of, of being alive or being able to have access to it. You know, clearly, countries are looking at, at it and saying, okay, well, we're not sure what it is, but it's something. And we better understand what it is because it seems that other countries are working to understand what it is. And it's going to be a component of
0: national defense. Some people in the chat were making a point that a, a treaty might also have importance in terms of protocols for communicating to say hey this isn't our attack or uh, here's uh, let's you know it could be more than just we won't do it if you don't do it. It could be uh, th- there's more subtlety involved. It could be saying uh, we agreed on to do these kinds of things or uh, we should have some sort of early warning system that we jointly uh, sponsor. I imagine there are things to talk about, right? I think that's a very good point.
1: Uh, uh, John Markoff's article did only talk about this this sort of this mutual agreement not to develop. They, they, I mean, what 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 was talked about in the article was an agreement not to develop cyber warfare technology. Right. Which which struck me as like that's okay. impossible. Good luck with doable. that.
0: Yeah. No, I, my reaction to that is not no. <laughs> crazy yeah um but i think there might be more that we could talk about right
1: yeah yeah and uh, you know i'm not a pacifist but i'm i'm not overly aggressive either and so i think i think talking is good talking is better than not talking absolutely
0: well, very interesting subject. I'm so glad you brought it up. The notes uh, that Steve's copious notes are online at grc.com. You can find those there along with 16 kilobit versions of the show which Steve puts together. Thank you, Steve. And transcripts which Steve pays to have done by the great Elaine Elaine Ferris, right? Elaine Ferris. She does such yep. a wonderful job our transcriber. Uh, so you can read along as you listen or or read instead of listen or listen instead of read or whatever you want. <laughs> whatever you want to do. And while you're at grc.com, look for those great free programs that Steve gives away, wonderful stuff. We were talking on uh, This Week in Google about your DNS program and how good oh, that cool. was. Yeah, um, And also, of course, SpinRite, the world's best hard drive maintenance Yay. recovery utility. Yay, SpinRite. Do it first so you don't have to freeze your drive. There you go, exactly. And congratulations once again. Best technology oh, podcast. So neat. Isn't that a nice feeling? That's that great. is great. We'll send you the trophy. Thank you, Leo. Uh, We will uh, see you all again next week. We do this show live on video, and you can watch every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. I think I've got to get my uh, UTCs together, but I think, if I'm correct, that's either 1,900 or 2,000 UTC. Uh, You can also um, uh, download video soon from twit.tv, and in a few weeks we'll be able to get uh, podcasts of that and have it on the Roku box and all that stuff, too. We're and next head. week
1: is Christmas Eve, but Security Now will be there. Amazing. <laughs>
0: How do you do it? We'll see you then. Thanks, Theo. You. You. Security Now.